Hey, welcome to Oasis Singles. My name is Pastor Dave, and I'm so excited you're here. By the way, this site is not just about Christian dating service, reviews, and so forth, but it's also about life advice, all things Christian single. We have articles, we have interactive ways that you can get in touch with each other, and we also have podcasts that are all about the Christian life. I hope you enjoy our site, and I hope you enjoy the podcast you're about to listen to right now. God bless. relationships. Oh yeah. We're calling this four-week journey Love, Marriage, Baby Carriage. Or if you prefer, love is a three-ring circus. The engagement ring, the wedding ring, the suffering. (laughs) Oh, there you go. I knew someone was going to be honest out there. Bob Smith, who's probably been married longer than, you know, there has been dirt. So, amen. amen. Well, whether you are single this morning, you're in a relationship, perhaps you're considering marriage, you're already married, maybe divorced, maybe even thinking about a divorce, I want you to know that this series is for you. Because we are going to take a look at relationships and love from God's perspective. We're going to look at the good, we're going to look at the bad, we're going to look at the ugly. The Bible provides great, great insight into relationships. Because more than anything, God's desire is for each and every one of us to have a a dynamic, personal relationship with him and with each other. When you think about it, that is pretty much what the entire Bible is all about. It's relationships. It's like ancient e-harmony on crack. Real God, real advice. And what a babe, huh? Yeah, I have to tell you, Jim loves posing for those pictures. When it comes to relationships, we can all use some good advice, can't we? So why don't we look to the one who created relationships in the first place? After all, good help is hard to marry. Something else I feel the need to say here this morning There are times that relationships can be pretty difficult. And sadly, a lot of relationships, as we all know, don't succeed. I know this firsthand. Uh, Most of you are aware that, uh, that Amy is not my first wife. So I know what it's like. I know what it's like to go through the challenges, through the stress, through the trials, through the shame of a failed, uh, broken relationship. And so I want you to know, if you're struggling in a relationship right now, The purpose of this series is not to shame you, and it's not to heap on a bunch of guilt. The purpose of this series is to give you hope. Our prayer is that over the course of this series, that God in his love and mercy will bring that hope. That he'll bring help, and he will bring you into a deeper relationship with him and with each other. In fact, that's that's what we have. That's our prayer for everyone here today. God wants you to know How much he loves you. He wants to be an intimate part of your life and your relationships to an infinitely good end. No one here is perfect, okay? Everyone has a story. And I'll tell you one thing that is certain. At the foot of the cross, the playing field is level. We are on common ground. All right? So speaking of stories, I want to share you something about Amy and me. 
we have this little saying for each other. It's something that we have said from the first time we ever confessed our love. We call each other ones. She's my one. I'm her one. We are ones. Amy and I say this all the time. I'll say to her, did you know? She'll say, yes. Did you know? And I'll say, yes, we are ones. If you're getting a toothache right now from all this sugar, <laughs> I completely understand and I apologize. <laughs> Tell people there's so much love in our house, in the kitchen, even the forks are spooning. It's going to be a good morning. <laughs> what being ones means to the two of us is that e even though we are unique, distinct individuals together in a relationship, we are truly complete. We are ones. Jesus talks about being one in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. And here's what he says. Most of you have heard this. We're going to hear a lot of scriptures. If you're married, you will hear a lot of scriptures over the course of this series that uh, you probably had at your, at your wedding ceremonies. But here's this, what Jesus said. He says, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but instead they are one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Finding our one is something we all dream of. Finding that perfect match fuels our hearts. It fuels our imaginations. It fuels our liter literature. It fuels our arts, our entertainment. It even fuels big business, doesn't it? They're dating services, books, websites, magazines, you name it. They offer endless help and advice in our search for our very own personal Prince Charming or Cinderella, and advertisers cash in on this big time. They cash in on the power behind this desire for relationship by telling us, if we're just to wear this brand of clothes, drive that brand of car, use this type of deodorant, whiten our teeth, darken our hair, remove our wrinkles, smell of this of aroma, trim our flab, tighten our muscles, and enlarge our bank accounts, what? We would finally, finally be more appealing, more desirable, more hot, more shapely, and sexy. Yeah, baby, yeah. <laughs> Got my mojo flowing. What's the message they send to us? Simply this. You can spark the genuine interest of someone else by being as fake as possible. Well, today we're going to suppress the spin, my friends. We're going to halt the hype. We're going to tell you the truth. We're going to kick off this four-week series by laying a relationship foundation, a biblical blueprint for successful, fulfilling, healthy relationships. And it all begins with four words. God's love changes everything. God's love changes everything. So let's start with a survey. How many in here today are married? Raise your hand. Got a lot of married folks. Awesome. Okay, put your hands down. How many of you are not married today? Raise your hands. Okay, very good, very good. All right, how many of you singles in the room would really like to meet your one? Raise your hands. 
Okay, now keep your hands up and scan the room singles. <laughs> Any takers? <laughs> okay, how many of you met and married your one, but you now like to trade it in on another one? <laughs> Unbelievable. Dude, you are sleeping on the couch tonight. That hand went up far too fast and far too high. There'll be a counseling session right after uh, the message today. So, how in the world do we know if we found the one? Let's watch this. Are you uh, are you married or single? Trying to figure out how it is that people know when they met the one. What would you say? Uh, it's kind of cheesy, but kind of time stopped a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> I'm only 17. I don't know. You just know. How would I know if I meet the one? Man, I don't know. I haven't met her yet. Um, when you're done checking out other guys, and you just, I don't know. <laughs> hmm. I'll have a God-given sense that will tell me that that's the right person. I think that if you pray about it and you just, I think God's going to give you that feeling and you just know automatically. You know, I'm in a relationship right now with a girl that I really like. and uh, Maybe she'll be the one, you know, I don't know, but we'll, we'll see if, as time goes on. You need someone that, you know, helps you towards school, your future, and your career. Everything. Yeah. You know, I have to have a really good relationship with God together, I guess. And you know that what you believe what you share together is the same thing. I mean, obviously I've been praying for that person, so um, I mean, God will just reveal it to me, for sure. I just think it's going to be amazing. Like, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but I just think, like, Allison, like I'll just go around with a big smile on my face. I don't know. I met the one, and I just knew from the moment I saw him, like, saw him. And it's been working out pretty well. Good. So from the moment you met him, you knew, how'd you know? I, I don't know. It was just inside... Did he know too? No. <laughs> How do you know if you've met the person who is the one? That is the one? I don't know. You tell him. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So do you remember when you were little asking your mom or dad how you'd know when you were in love? Do you, do you remember what they said to you? You'll just know. What did you say? You'd never ask that. Well, what is wrong with you? <laughs> You're in the single row, aren't you? <laughs> so kidding. I remember asking my mom and dad, how will you know when you're in love? And then just saying, well, you'll just know. I did not like that answer. What do you mean you'll just know? You know, it wasn't a good answer, and it especially isn't a good answer if a few years later, mom and dad, your most trusted source for advice on love and relationships, split up. What kind of credibility is that? We all want to find that special someone to share life with. I mean, we are wired for relationship, but we're also scared. Dating is scary. Amy says that dating is just a huge pool of rejection. There's all this pressure to impress, to measure up, to be perfect, and we all know how relaxed we are under that kind of scrutiny, right? <laughs> Amy said that I could share this with you. 
her first kiss, well, almost, was unexpectedly aborted as she leaned in to lock lips and then lost her balance and tumbled down the front stairs of the National Archives in D.C. <laughs> in front of her entire eighth grade class. <laughs> Miss Popular. And then there was the boy that she wanted to go out for two years, who finally asked her out. They went to Denny's, and she ended up shooting her entire chocolate milkshake out her nose, all, all over his expensive white sweater. He never called her back. <laughs> dating is scary and kind of funny, too. Okay, so dating, maybe, maybe we need another way. Maybe we need a different solution to find our one. I'm going to show you another clip from a movie called Pride and Prejudice, one of my all-time action favorites. <laughs> We're going to see, this movie's going to show us a little bit, or this scene's going to show us a little bit about how relationships used to take place. Watch this. It was pretty exciting then. Well, we may not visit if you do not, as you well know, Mr. Bennett. Listening, we'll never listen. Yes, Papa, at once. There's no need. I already have. Have? Yes. Oh, Mr. Bennett, how can you tease me so? Have you no compassion for my poor nerves? Oh, you must take me, my dear. I have the highest respect for them. They've been my constant companions these 20 years. Papa! Is he amiable? Who? Is he handsome? Who? He's sure to be handsome. With 5,000 a year, it would not matter if he had warts and a leer. Who's got warts? I will give my hearty consent to his marrying whichever of the girls he chooses. <laughs> Just love that. Arranged marriage. Now there's an idea that's bound to appeal to some of you. If you're a parent, you have a teenage daughter, an arranged marriage might sound like a pretty good idea, especially if it'll help keep the boys away till she's like 40-something. Well, how, how many of you singles think an arranged marriage would be the thing for you? Yeah, that's what I thought. If only two of you had held up your hands, we might have made a love connection. <laughs> well, throughout history, people have tried to create solutions to the age-old challenge of finding their one. And throughout history, the one who created us continues to offer solutions to this challenge, which we will only find in him. You know, as such, God built us for relationship. And he has something to say about relationships. He has something to say about the how to find someone, that perfect person, and also how to have a lasting Left, uh, loving relationship. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22. We're going to look at verses 37 and 39. Of course, the uh, the scriptures will be up on the scripture or on the screen behind me. In this reading, we see a Pharisee who was a religious teacher of the law, and he's trying to trick Jesus. He's trying to get him to back him into a corner, and he asks him this question. He says, "Of all the commandments, what is the most important?" Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This 
is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. What is Jesus telling us here? It's interesting because he was asked a question about the law. He was asked, which rule, Lord, which rule is the most important rule? But his answer came in the form of relationships. His answer was about relationships. Jesus summed up the law and the commandments by telling us to love. If you and I want to keep all the rules there are, if we want to fulfill all the commandments, we need to love God completely and then love one another even as we love ourselves. Jesus is showing us here God's priorities. He's teaching us what our priorities need to be. Think for a moment. Remember how you felt at the beginning of a romantic relationship? It's exciting. It's provocative. You can't stop thinking about this person. Everything they say and do is perfect. They make you feel alive, brand new. Every love song on the radio was written just for the two of you and has new meaning. And every morning you wake up and you're greeted by rainbows and unicorns. <laughs> you are Twitter-pated. This person makes you feel so good. This person is just what you need. They love all the same music as you. They love all the same movies that you love, all the same food as you. And you love everything about them because they love everything about you. You, you, you. You know, when we think about it, it's easy to make the mistake of defining love by what we get, by what we feel, rather than by what we give. That's not love at all. This is just selfish delusion, and it usually leads to disaster. One day, girl meets Mr. Perfect. Six months later, she's filing a restraining order against Mr. Perfectly Obnoxious. Why does this happen? Well, it happens because we misplace God's priorities in our lives. We end up defining love not by what we give of ourselves, but instead by what we get and how it makes us feel. Whether we're willing to admit it, to not, admit it or not, when we do this, we end up turning this beautiful thing called love into self-worship. And we do that by basing the standard on love, again, by how it makes me feel, how it serves me. Jesus' command to love God first and to love one another as ourselves said absolutely nothing about so long as it makes me feel good, as long as it serves my desires. That's just selfishness. We all know this. And nothing, nothing will destroy a relationship, be it with God or with another person, faster than selfishness. I know this firsthand. The first step to having a great relationship, to finding our one, is to make God's priorities our priority, to put God first in our lives. This means that you and I need to be intentional about getting to know God, building a relationship with God, spending time with Him, talking with Him, listening to Him. It's in this very act of love that we begin to realize an incredible thing. We begin to truly understand that God loves us and how much He loves us. We begin to understand how important we are to Him. 
And I'll tell you something, as soon as we begin to grasp this, that God's love for me is real, we begin to discover peace and security. We see our own worth through his eyes. And we no longer need the constant approval of someone else to make us feel good, to feel valuable, to feel loved. Because we are loved. We are valuable. Because God sees us that way. As a result of knowing God's love, we begin to have the capacity then to love someone else without the selfish and unrealistic idea that love is only lasting and genuine if it makes me feel good. And I'll tell you something else. If your special one is in the same place, if they're doing the same thing, if they're taking on God's priorities, then God can unleash love in your life and your relationship in a way that is bigger than the both of you. Four words. God's love changes everything. We need to make God's priorities our priority. We need to love God completely and then others as ourselves. And you know, it kind of sounds like a chore, but it's not. And I want to give you an example. King David, one one of my favorite characters in the Bible, had this extraordinary relationship with God, didn't he? We read that he was a man after God's own heart. God didn't say that about anyone else in Scripture, but about David. He says, this is a man after my own heart. Now, What do we know about David? We know that David was just a guy. Nothing perfect about this man. We know that David was burdened with sin just like you and me, and in some ways even more so. David blew it a lot. But David had this extraordinary relationship with God. We also know that God is not partial. So we can't say, well, you know, David was God's favorite. What made the difference? I'll tell you what I think made the difference. I look at David's life, and and when you read the Psalms, you see into this man. You see that he was real. You see that uh, one moment he's out there, praise God, praise him in the morning, praise him in the evening. And the next moment he's like, oh, my life sucks. David was real. But I think the thing that truly set David apart from you and me, maybe, for many of us, is that when it came to understanding and believing and grasping that God really loved him, David got that. David got it. He knew this God who created the universe is real. And he knew that this amazing, omnipotent being truly loved him. And that changed his life. You know, if we make anything more important than the Lord in our life, even our relationships, we enter into idolatry. This applies to all of us, married or not married. When we look back in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, chapter 34, verse 14, says this. Do not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. To worship God is to live our lives as he directs us, as he instructs us, as he leads us in his love. And if we allow anyone or anything else to lead us instead, well, we've replaced God as the center of our life and the center of our worship. If your relationship isn't working out the way that it's supposed to be, maybe you should ask yourself this question. Am I looking to my significant other, to my spouse, to meet some need 
that only God can meet? Have I allowed someone or something to become more important to me than God and what he says should be important to me? When our relationship with God is our first priority, we end up honoring the Lord. And then our romantic relationships become honoring to God as well and to one another. We're going to take another look at this, uh, this verse in Exodus 34, 14. But we're going to look from a different translation. This is the New Living Translation. The scripture says, You must worship no other gods but only the Lord, for he is a God who is passionate. What is he passionate about? He is passionate about you. God is passionate about his relationship with you. What excites the heart of God? You do. You set God ablaze. What does he want to be in your life? He wants to be your number one. He wants to be my number one. And until he is number one, the relationships that we have with our special one will never quite be everything that they can be. Because God's love changes everything. As you grow spiritually, putting God first, he starts to equip you with a new dimension of relationship with your special one. God changes our thinking. He changes our priorities. He fills us with his love. And when this love is, is overflowing from us, it does just that. It overflows. It, it naturally flows from us into that special person. We're no longer just takers, but instead we become givers. God's love changes everything. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then everything else will be added unto you. Because God is all about relationship. We put our relationship with the Lord first, and that changes the way we view all relationships. With your special one, you become unified. You become a team. You become one. And you, as one, you put the needs of one another above your own needs. Now, I'm not talking about compromise. In a relationship, not at all. Not talking about a quid pro quo, 50-50, if you'll scratch my back, I'll scratch yours arrangement. That's not a relationship. That's a negotiation. God lavishes his love on us, and he wants us to do the same with each other. When we put him first, we are able to receive his love fully. And then and only then can we fully love the way that Christ instructs us. Because he enables us. So we're talking about love. What is God's definition of love? We're going to jump back to some more wedding scripture. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, a verse probably all of us are familiar with. Chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. We read this about God's definition of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, 
always hopes, always perseveres. Does God's definition of love look like your definition of love? Is this how you and I are living out love in our homes, in our relationships? Is this definition of love the standard by which we are relating to our special one? You know, I'd like, I'd like us to do something. I'd like us to, um, to make a commitment this morning. This is for everyone, but especially for those who happen to be Christ followers. What I would like for us to do is to commit to being better lovers. Better lovers. It begins by putting Christ first in our lives and in our relationships. Would you be willing to do this with me today? Here's what we're going to do. To get a sense of what this looks like, of putting Christ first... We're going to reread 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, but in the first person. The words will be up on the screen here. And before we read together, I'm going to set the stage for us. If you're single, as we're reading, I want you to imagine that special one that God has for you. I want you to picture them in your mind, and I want you to make them good looking. Okay, don't give me that over-spiritual junk of, well, you know... If he's godly, if she's, you know, if I pray hard enough, but, oh, you know, maybe God will take my eyes. I don't know. That's, <laughs> listen, I'm serious about this. I truly believe that God brings people into our lives to whom we are attractive. We put Jesus first. He knows your likes and your dislikes. I mean, consider my relationship, okay? You've all seen my beautiful wife. I'm married up. <laughs> I just keep praying that as long as Amy keeps looking at me, God will keep showing her Sean Connery. Okay, so that takes care of you singles. If you're in a relationship this morning, if you're dating, if you're engaged, if you're married, I want you to picture that special someone. Picture that person in your mind as we read these words together. And if you're in a relationship that's struggling this morning or a relationship that has ended, first of all, I'm sorry. I know, I know some of what you're going through. And what I want you to do is to picture Jesus in your mind. I want you to imagine him, his arms around you. And he's holding you and he's supporting you and he's healing you, okay? So, to my special one, let's say this. I will be patient. I will be kind. I will not envy. I will not boast. I will not be proud. I will not be rude. I will not be self-seeking. I will not be easily angered. I will keep no record of wrongs. I will not delight in evil, but I will rejoice with the truth. I will always protect, always trust, always hope, always persevere. I feel like I should ask you to kiss one another now. <laughs> this is God's definition of love, isn't it? And then, in the next verse, 
God promises something, and he promises this. Love never fails. Some of you may say, Michael, that's just not true. Look at yourself. You're divorced. Love failed. Look at me. I'm divorced. Love failed. I'm telling you it's not true. You and I might fail, okay? Some of our relationships may fail, but love never fails. The Greek word translated love in, 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 uh, in this verse is agape. Agape essentially embodies unconditional love. Love never fails. Unconditional love never fails. Twice in the, in the book of 1 John chapter 4, we read that God is love. God is agape. God is unconditional love. And I am telling you, though we may fail, though we live in, in, a, in a sinful world, love will never fail because God will never fail you. God's love changes everything. You know, if we would all truly put Jesus first in our lives and imagine, just imagine some of the changes that God's love could make here at Discovery, among other things, our single adults could be renowned for their integrity, respect, and godly relational pursuits. We would be distinctly different from the rest of the world. Our married couples, their relationships would be solidly built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. They would be thriving, impacting neighborhoods, communities, and beyond. Our marriages, they would be holy. They would be pure. They would be fun. They would be full of passion and purpose, intimacy, hope, and unity. And if and when there's trouble, then together we would gather and we would look to God and we would pray and move heaven and earth by our faith, by our prayers, and by a selfless coming together to look for resolution. Our family's values would be God's values. Morally, we would have a higher standard. We wouldn't tolerate any kind of destructive, selfish, or sinful thoughts or behavior. Our children could be raised witnessing God's love lived out consistently by mom and dad, and the work of our hands would be done with integrity. Our finances would be in order. We could be radically generous. We could be faithful to use God's resources to be a blessing a blessing to our families, to our communities, our church, and the world all around us because God's love changes everything. God's love has changed me. I want to tell you something. I love my wife. We've been married for just over five years, and I can tell you without hesitation and without reservation that the last five years of my life have been the absolute best years of my entire life because I am madly, passionately in love with this amazing woman. Of course, some of you may be thinking, five years? Look at Bob Smith. He used to ride dinosaurs. Five years. Okay, but here's the thing. You know, Amy and I, we're together 24-7 because we work together, we live together, we travel together. We are together so much, we now count our anniversaries in dog years. <laughs> Five years. But I will tell you something. My love for her is deep. But most importantly, 
I want you to know that I could not truly love Amy the way I do if it hadn't been for Jesus Christ, if I hadn't begun to grasp the love that God has for me. I could not love this woman the way that I do today without the knowledge, the security, and the peace that I have because I've begun to grasp that love that God truly has for me, the love that he has for you, for all of us. God's love changes everything. And I don't deserve to be loved by God, okay? Certainly not as deeply as he loves me. And I am incapable of returning his love with the same measure with which he bathes me in his love. And I certainly have never done anything for him that would merit his sacrificing his life for me. But I'll tell you, because I know that God's love is real, because I know that God's love is secure, that it is freely given, it is beyond expression, it is beyond comprehension, I am able to love my wife beyond my own ability. Folks, when we are filled with the knowledge of God's love, God expands us. He makes us bigger from the inside out. He makes our love bigger. And I'll tell you, Amy and I, we're committed to putting Christ first in our lives and in our relationship. This motivates us. It enables us to put our relationship above one another. We're, we're a team. We, we look out for the best interests of one another. We're one flesh. We're ones. Now, we do our best to give our love away, but we're far from perfect. But it doesn't stop us from trying. God is love. And when Christ is number one in our lives, our capacity to love that special someone and to receive love back is without measure because he is without measure. So my question this morning for us to consider this week, where is Christ in your life? Is Jesus number one in your life? Are God's priorities your priorities? Because the more we take that step of faith, build that relationship with him, the more he is free to live and breathe and love and work through us. And I'll tell you, um, it's a priority thing. Just making God's priorities first. I would also tell you that I uh, have certainly not been consistent doing this my entire life. A lot of times, I, I, as a first priority, I spent chasing after relationships or chasing after work or even, you know, chasing after ministry, chasing after material gain, whatever. And not once did any of those things fulfill me. Not once did any of those give me lasting purpose and they certainly didn't complete me. Can you relate? Well, then let's let, let's let the Spirit of God move in our lives this week to dethrone anything that we have put in the place of Christ. Jesus wants to be number one in our lives. And if we allow him, his love will change everything. Let's pray together. Father, we, we just thank you for your amazing love. We ask that in your holy presence, Lord, you would become our number one. 
you have a better way for us than anything the world has to offer. And Lord, you know what we do. We take the normal road. We pursue relationships. We end up being promiscuous. We end up with multiple sinful relationships. And yeah, you know, it feels like fun for a little while. But sin has a way of coming back to bite us, and it bites hard. Lord, you know I know this personally. You start hurting, you become angry, even dangerous. And you just leave a trail of broken relationships. End up hating yourself and everyone and everything around you. You end up giving up on people. You end up giving up on yourself and even giving up on you, Lord. Isn't that exactly where Satan wants us? He wants us to give up. But Lord, we know that's not where you want us. And so, Father, I pray this morning for every Christ follower here that we would commit to looking to you, that we would commit to getting to know you, Lord, to really developing a relationship with you so that we can begin to grasp how high, how wide, how rich, how deep is your love for us and that we would be filled with this love and that your love would change everything in our lives, Lord. And for the non-believer, for the, for the person here today who, who is curious about Jesus Christ, maybe hasn't made that step of faith, and I say to you, this, this message still applies to you. God wants to be first in your life. He wants to be number one in your life. And Father, I, I just pray that you would draw us all to you. That you'd let us see that we need you that our lives can be full and complete and whole with you. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to ask Christ into your life. All you have to do is just pray. Pray silently along with me and say, Jesus, I want you to be number one in my life. Lord, I have misplaced my priorities and I have paid the price. I want a new...